Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Good evening, everybody. What's going on? My name is William Powell, a.k.a. the King of DC Media. Welcome to another episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show. Tonight, my guest is filmmaker Brandon Freer, whose short film, Capsized, earned two nominations at Actions on Film. And a little later on, at the top of the hour, we'll have director Wyoming Paris and cast of the stage play Ben Sings My Soul, including Paul Anthony, R.B. producer and member of the classic hip-hop group, Full Force. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But before we get to them, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, federal employees, what would you do with $1 million? Your wishful thinking can become a reality. We're Fed Choice, and we're here to help you achieve your million-dollar dreams. From saving you money on a loan to helping you save for retirement. Visit us online at fedchoice.org and use the keyword inside. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, an official sponsor of the Inside Acting Radio Show. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. And if you would like to advertise on this show, please email me at william400 at yahoo.com. So I see that uh, Brandon's on the line, so let me bring him on in. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Good evening. Hey, William. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Never better. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for thanks for making a spot for me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to dive right into uh, Capsize. I know it's a very suspenseful film. How did you come up with the concept? Uh, let's see. Well, back in 2012, uh, you know, I happened to be watching the news. Uh, as you know, a lot of people were probably watching the events of the Costa Concordia happening um, off the coast of Italy. Uh, that was the cruise liner that capsized uh, off the coast of Italy, and that was that was the inspiration initially, um, you know, to to make this film. And you know, when I was when I was conceiving the idea. As a uh, as an independent, you know, low budget film, I kind of knew. Well, I can't really uh, film on a boat. <laughs> Not gonna have the budget for that. So uh, yeah, so I was trying, yeah. So I was trying to think of a way that I could do it. Um, you know, low budget, and uh, I started really looking at uh, other films that inspired me. You know, back in my youth, you know, looking at you know Hitchcock films. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, one day I happened to be sitting there watching a movie called Buried with Ryan Reynolds uh, by uh, Rodrigo Cortez. And I was just blown away by what they were able to do in that film with just a coffin. I mean, the whole movie took place in a coffin. And uh, so that was kind of the direction that I realized I had to go was, um, you know, when you're trying to make an independent film for very little money, uh, pretty much one of the first first things you do is you go, okay, what, you know, how can I tell a story in one location? I mean, that's going to be your first way of saving money. Um, and then also, right. you know, a very limited cast, you know, where you don't have so many moving pieces to juggle. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of how it all, that was just kind of the inspiration for it all. Hmm. Now, where exactly did you shoot it? Uh, well, I you know, I used to live in Los Angeles. I had lived in Los Angeles for 16 years of my life. Um, and so uh, we shot, uh, actually, we shot most of the film at my sound uh, designer uh, composer. Uh, his name is John Capo. Uh, I was really good friends with him. We had done some music videos together uh, for a uh, you know an artist that he was producing. And... So that was like the first person I went to when I had the idea. I said, "Hey, you know, I, I have this idea, and I need to, you know, I need one location, one house, primarily." And uh, you know, he was he was really gracious and was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, and so he wanted to be a part of it. And then uh, so most of it was shot um, in, in his house, and then we also shot, um, you know, some. Uh, some forest uh, hiking trails, and we shot on a famous beach. It was uh, El Matador uh, Beach out in um, uh, Malibu, uh, California. And there's been several films that have been, you know, used this beach. And uh, my cinematographer, my director of photography, Matt Four, he's actually the one who told me about it when we were location scouting. And he said, hey, you know, I know this beach, and, you know, it's really great access, and the, I started researching, and he told me, yeah, you know, all these different uh, movies in the film there, such as uh, Grease, and I think even, um, uh, what was that movie with uh, Ryan Gosling, The Notebook. Uh, yeah, and so so I said, oh, that's perfect, you know, let's uh, let's do it. So. Yeah, I noted that uh, you have a, a good background in, the, like, uh, After Effects and all these kind of things. It looked like you had a CGI boat. Uh, I can't take yeah I can't take credit for that I, I have to give you know credit I have a I had a really great uh, special effects artist named Thomas Thomas Tamora and um, it's interesting a lot of people don't realize uh, how how much special effects went into this movie um, because naturally they know the boat and helicopters and different stuff we had out in the ocean was CGI. But uh, actually, all of the footage on the TV screen uh, when, you know, Haley McLaughlin, my uh, lead actress, when she's watching the news coverage, all of that was uh, done, you know, in post-production, as was all the cell phone shots. Um, But people don't realize that the cell phone is is not, you know, like the screens are not real. And what's on on the news really wasn't happening when she was performing in that room. So we did it all in post. Um, so yeah, and, and then uh, talk about the power of black and white film. I mean, what what made you decide to use that? I think I think that definitely goes back to the influence of Hitchcock. Um, I, I guess I I felt like 
you know, aesthetically, it was an interesting choice because, you know, she's relying on a cell phone. You know, there's technology in the film in that way. Um, but I guess somewhere in my mind, I felt like what the story is about, you know, the tragedy of it all, um, you know, love and loss, it's just kind of there's a timeless quality to it. And I think that also led us with when my composer and I sat down with the music, I definitely I wanted that kind of vibe from, you know, the 50s, from Hitchcock. Uh, and, you know, most most of the films people remember of Hitchcock were black and white. Um, so uh, I think that was definitely the inspiration for it in, in doing it that way. Hmm. Okay, so talk a little bit about uh, what you look for in actors. What do I look for in actors? Um well, like with with Capsize, it was it was definitely a, a challenge casting our lead uh, lead role uh, played by Haley. Um, I happened to had worked on a full length film called Man in a Box. So uh, Michael Galante, who plays uh, Alex, the fiance who's trapped on the boat, uh, I, I got to know him when I worked on that film in 2013. Uh, as well as Warren Bubb, uh, good, you know, become really good friends with these guys, and you know, they were they were actually, I guess you could say, when I was writing the script, I had them in mind, and so you know, I, I talked to them about it. They loved the idea, and I was just like, hey, you know, would you want to, you know, be a part of this? And Warren, you know, he flew out from New York. Um, there was also a lovely, lovely woman. Uh, her name is uh, Michelle and um, uh, Michelle Harrelson, and she plays the search and rescue operator uh, on the phone, and she was also in Man in a Box. So there's this, there's this kind of interesting thing that happened with most of the people that I worked with was that I had developed a relationship or a connection with them from a previous film. But with Haley, we had like, I think, 1,200 uh, actresses submit um, on backstage uh, casting um for the role of Stephanie. And, you know, originally my thinking on it was, you know, I, I guess, you know, let's, let's, let's get, you know, blonde, blue eyed, you know, kind of Valley girl type thing, you know, and when Haley came in for her audition, uh, number one, she was the only person, I mean, we had auditioned, we'd narrowed it down from 1,200 to like 65, I think. She was the only actress that came in who had memorized the the, the sides, the, the scenes we had given her. And that really kind of blew me away. You know, she didn't, she walked in with no script in her hand. She she had no, no paperwork. And, and she asked, oh, you know, do you mind if I use my phone uh, you know, as a prop, right? And I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, but I was also taken back by the fact that, you know, she is Scottish and she has like, you know, this very, you know, thick Scottish accent when she normally talks and she just does this like perfect you know, American accent. <laughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, right after that, I was kind of like speechless because I realized, wow, it's like this is this is the girl, this is the one. Um, you know, and I had asked her, you know, for a redirect. I was like, hey, um, I, I guess, can you do that whole thing in Scottish? So. 
Yeah, it's but uh, I mean, so I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I, I guess the first yeah. thing is, you know, as, as a writer, I think, you know, you, you, you go into a script with a a certain look or behavior or something in mind. Um, and, yeah, you kind of hope for that, and that kind of leads you in how you're going to cast. But sometimes, like in the instance with Haley, something happens in that room, uh, you know, that is kind of indescribable, and it's really a feeling. Um, you feel that presence or something, and, and that person may not be exactly what you wrote. And then suddenly you're like, oh, my God, i got to go back home and, and rewrite the way this character was conceived because this is actually the person that's right for this. Um, and, and that was, you know, kind of what happened. So, you know, I, I guess uh, there's definitely an organic uh, process, I think, in uh, in in casting, and if you're lucky, you, you get which I was, you know, very fortunate to have just really great and talented people, you know, behind the project. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about uh, writing. I want to kind of delve more into that. Uh, so you wrote a screenplay, eighteen uh, percent. Now that's something that you submitted to uh, what was it World uh, Music and uh, Independent Film Festival. So talk a little bit about that script. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, after Capsize, um, originally a lot of people were, you know, um, interested in me doing a full length, and I, you know, and I am working on that. But um, what had happened was, you know, I was fortunate enough to join a really amazing writing group out in Los Angeles. Uh, a good friend of mine named Terry, you know, introduced me to everybody there and introduced me to Joe, who's become my mentor. And, you know, I had started with, you know, okay, I got this sci-fi idea, and, oh, okay, I've got, you know, I want to do a capsized full length. Um, and something kind of happened just, you know, in discussions with uh, with Joe, my mentor, um, and he asked me, he goes, what is this 18% you keep on referring to, you know, about my son? And I, and I told him the story about how our, uh, our firstborn son was a micro preemie. He was born at barely 24 weeks, and you know, you weighed one pound, four ounces, uh, was given, you know, 18 to 20-something percent uh, chance to survive, to live. And Joe was like, Brandon, you know, those are, you know, capsized, okay, that's great, and the sci-fi, that's great. He goes, no, this is a story you need to write right now. And I listened to him, and I, you know, at this point, you know, it's been 10 years, uh, I, I – I was, I think, afraid to tell that story. Um, I don't think I fully, even after 10 years, had fully processed, uh, like, how traumatic of an experience that was for me and my wife to go through. Uh, so I'm glad I listened to him because I think it had, it had probably been become the most real and honest thing I had ever tried to write um, because it is based on my life. And, and, and it, it forced me to you know, shine a microscope on myself as a, as a, as a father, as a, you know, as a, as a person and how that experience really changed, you know, like my entire outlook on life and just really shaped, you know, who I am now. Um, so that is what it's about is it's about, you know, um, I mean, naturally when you write a true story, you you got to change things. So it's not like, you know, uh, the main character's name is not Brandon, you know, um, but, I mean, it is definitely a true story and inspired by all the characters and the people in my life at the time. 
Um, but, you know, it's, it's basically about a guy who, you know, he's on, like, he's doing all the wrong things. You know, he's got all the wrong goals and all the wrong uh, priorities. And this inexplainable thing happens, and, you know, it kind of, uh, you know, he, he kind of goes down an emotional, you know, this downward spiral um, before kind of coming out of this. And so uh, the story is definitely meant to be very inspiring, um, you know, and just, and just having, you know, faith in uh, these, these uncertain moments of life um, that something will see you through, it, you know, will, will, you will overcome it. Uh, and I think that's uh, the importance of it. But, um, you know, just like with Capsize, I was you know, fairly, uh, just very fortunate. I mean, it is pretty much the first full-length script uh, that I had written. Uh, I mean, I had tried writing scripts, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I first moved to L.A. I was, you know, doing all, all the things I could to be a uh, filmmaker or screenwriter, and I was doing all the wrong things, I think. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was, uh, no, I was very fortunate. Um, the script was picked up by Action on Film, uh, and you know, I, I had gotten two nominations there. Uh, Action on Film is, uh, you know, just a fantastic festival out in Los Angeles. Uh, they're in their 11th year. I think they're going on their 12th year. And um, I got nominated for Best Dramatic Scene and uh, Best New Writer. I didn't didn't win the gold, but I did get a runner-up for the Best Dramatic Scene. Uh, so it's just, you know, tremendous honor. It's really, uh, really very blessed uh, at, 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 you know, what cap size has accomplished and, uh, and, you know, hopefully 18% is going to keep on, you know, going forward now that I'm submitting it to more festivals. Yeah. All right. So I want to kind of delve into why, why did you think that you landed behind the camera and not in front of the camera? Oh, why did I land behind the camera? Well, you know, I guess going all the way back to high school, I was never the popular kid. You know, I was in, I was kind of one of those, I guess, <clears throat> like loner artist types. Um, I, I did take some drama classes in high school, um, but I was never comfortable. Uh, and, and I and I feel like, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people set out to be directors or they set out to be actors or they set out, you know, people want to be in the film industry because it's an exciting industry to be in. Um, But I think you have to trust your gut instincts on, you know, what it is that you're good at and what it is that, you know, you can be successful in. Uh, So I started out, uh, you know, I'm a student of film. I I love watching movies. I've, I've seen more movies than most people I know and definitely more than anybody in my family. Uh, and I dissect them like ad nauseum. Um, and so editing was kind of how I started out. And, and the big reason behind that was I remember when I watched, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, you've seen the movie Brazil by Terry Gilliam. I've seen um, pieces of it. Okay, well, Brazil is, you know, just a fantastic uh, movie by Terry Gilliam, dystopian you know, future society, very much based on, like, 1984, George Orwell. Um, and I remember when I got, I think it was, like, a laser disc or, you know, DVD or whatever, uh, where it was the first time you could ever see the different versions of that film. 
because that film had a had a history to it where <clears throat> Terry Gilliam was forced to re-edit the film uh, by the studio, and he, and he was very disappointed and didn't like what they made him do. And that version was like called the Love Conquers All version. And it's significantly shorter. It's like this abridged version. And I remember watching both versions back-to-back one day, and I was blown away. I was like, my God, it's like this is, you know, when you look at the version he envisioned and then you look at the the abridged version that was like 40 minutes shorter, it's a totally different film. And I think at that moment I realized, you know, if, if, if I can't be a director or if I'm not going to be an actor, maybe I need to explore editing because it seems like, you know, editing has a lot of power. You know, it's like, wow, you can really change a film by, you know, doing a good edit or a bad edit. And, um, and I remember, you know, there's, there's a phrase that a movie is made three times. Like first it's made by the writer when they sit down and write it, and then second it's made by the director when the director kind of reinterprets that script and puts it all together. And then the third time that movie is made is when the editor sits down and takes all of that and now puts it, you know, out as a, uh, you know, as a finished film. Um, so I think that's why I ended up behind the cameras. You know, I really enjoyed editing. I really enjoyed post-production. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I didn't, didn't see myself as an actor. Um, that's not to say that I wouldn't try. I think if I was right for something, like I was the right person for something that one of my friends, you know, they're like, hey, be this bad guy in this movie or be this. I mean, I'm sure I would do it because I just love the process of filmmaking and it would be fun. Uh, but it was definitely not. It was definitely not my passion. Yeah. Okay. So now, hypothetically, uh, what are some famous actors that uh, you would like to work with one day? Oh wow! You know, that is uh, that is that is always a difficult question. Um, you know, Matthew McConaughey definitely comes to mind. I I've watched a lot of his films, and uh, you know, he is he's a very versatile actor, and. Um, yeah, very inspiring. So I, I know he would be somewhere at the top of my list. Um, you know, as a kid, De Niro was, you know, he was one of my all-time favorites, you know, and uh, so that would be another uh, another dream come true. Um, and I'm also a huge fan of Edward Norton's work. Um, so I, I uh, you know, any, any one of those three, um, I would just be like, wow, you know, like pinch me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, who do you think is the best director in Hollywood? The best director? See, uh, that's that's another tough one. I mean, I don't think there's one particular best because I feel like everybody does their best work. And, you know, I mean, there, there are directors that I guess are more commercially uh, successful than others, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best. Um, some people at the top of my list, uh, David Fincher. I I think David Fincher is amazing. Uh, I you know love uh, a lot of uh, a lot of his films. Uh, I was always a huge fan of Tarantino and Rodriguez uh, way back in the '90s when they kind of first hit the scene. I was just all about what they were doing. You know, I, I think those two guys. You know, you could argue that they single-handedly, 
you know, kind of ushered in the era of independent, you know, filmmaking, doing some amazing things, um, and really, really making it possible for, for everybody else. Um, yeah. Um, I think, well, I mean, you know, Spielberg never does a bad movie, of course. Uh, so he's, he's an obvious, you know, choice. Um, but yeah, I would say I have to say that my influence is probably David Fincher's at the top. Uh, uh-huh. and yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I noticed that uh, you do have a lot of exposure to to film festivals. So, what what's your strategy for submitting to so many film festivals? What is my <laughs> What is my strategy? Yeah, it seems like uh, you always uh, get a lot of exposure. Um, well, we've been, you know, we have been very fortunate, like Capsize, uh, I think we got up to 24, 25 festival, uh, official selections. So that was like really, you know, again, it's not like, I, I definitely didn't think when I made the film that, okay, this is going to, you know, be screamed all over the place and, you know, I mean, uh, and gotten all the, you know, nominations and praise that have gotten. Um, but strategy wise, I think. You know, I talked to a lot of people, and I I'd actually had some experience with it, um, with uh, that uh, full-length movie that I was a part of, Man in a Box, um, helping the director. You know, we're you know going through that submission process, so I, it wasn't foreign to me. Um, but I mean, I definitely, well, <laughs> I definitely had a spreadsheet, you know, uh, a very large spreadsheet where I had done a lot of research and. I had all of like the the A tier of film festivals, you know, the ones that are pretty much like winning a lottery ticket, uh, as as some people I know say, is you got to buy the ticket, and that that would be film festivals like Sundance or Tribeca, um, that are extremely hard to get into, and then the bulk of the festivals, I guess you would call maybe the B tier, and the B tier is you know all the emerging festivals or festivals that have been around let's say five ten years and you know they're getting good press they're getting good buzz. Um, I definitely looked for festivals that uh, spoke to the independent spirit. You know festivals that seem to appreciate what it takes you know to make an independent film. I mean not all of us you know have a hundred thousand dollars to dump into you know a five minute short you know. Uh, although that I, I know there are some out there. Um, I don't want to say throw enough spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, some, sometimes that is the best strategy um, is, you know, I mean, you can only research so much and you just kind of have to get it out there. Um, and, you know, I have been lucky in that there have been a few festivals that have reached out to me because either they are, you know, affiliated with a sister festival or they saw uh, capsized at a different festival and they were like, Hey, would you submit that to us? We really want to, uh, you know, possibly screen that and see if we can slot it in. Uh, so that has happened on occasion. Um, but I mean, I do think, you know, that you, you do have to just try to go after that exposure you can't just make a film, submit it to Sundance, and if it gets and, and, and you get rejected and go, oh well, I failed, and, and then just scrap it. You just got to keep on moving on. You will find an audience for it. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. Okay, so uh, so what's next? What are some of the big projects you got coming up in uh, 2016? Uh, well, like I said, I, I am working on uh, a full length of Capsize, um, and uh, I'm very, very excited about uh, my sci-fi. Uh, tr- it's going to be a sci-fi trilogy that I'm working on. And uh, hopefully next month, uh, I've been, been having discussions with uh, a good friend of mine about doing a independent horror film. I pitched him an idea that he really loves. So it's untitled at this point. Um, but uh, I said, hey, you know, do you want to co-write this with me? And, and this is a guy that I, you know, he's, he's in my writing group. His name is Russell. And uh, I just have a lot of respect for him. I mean, his, his knowledge of horror films far exceeds, you know, probably anybody I know. So if there's anybody to be a good co-writer, uh, I definitely think he's he's it. So I got yeah I got you know few few logs in the fire. <laughs> so right, okay, and uh, oh, and also how can uh, fans keep up with you? Uh, yeah, I mean you know my my website is uh, Gemini G E M I N I I. Film, F-I-L-M, dot com. I'm um, also on Facebook, Twitter, uh, have a YouTube channel, Vimeo, just kind of all the social network stuff. Um, Capsize has its own official page, which is Capsize the Movie, and Capsize uh, the Movie dot com with the website. Um, and then I do have uh, IMDb, and uh, yeah, I guess that would cover it. Okay. All right, Brandon. Well, it was great having you as a guest, and man, I'm really excited about uh, what we talked about tonight. And um, definitely want to have you back. Thank you so much, William. It was really, really great being on your uh, show. And yeah, I look forward to uh, uh, you know talking again. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, you have a great night. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. All right, so now we're going to have the director and cast of the stage play Then Sings My Soul, which will be playing at the Ark Theater at 1901 Mississippi Avenue, Southeast Washington, D.C., Thursday, October 29th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, You can purchase tickets by going to www.thensingsmysoul.org or call 202-415-2122. Then Sings My Soul is a stirring production that brings the audience face-to-face with women and men who are in a fight for their lives. Uh, Their journey really begins with the trials and situations that threaten to rob them of their freedom, their joy, even their very souls. This show will ignite a movement to end domestic violence. And uh, the creator of the show is uh, Wyoming Paris, who is also a singer and who has worked with the, the likes of Yolanda Adams, uh, Jeff Majors, and Vicki Winans. And uh, we also have uh, Paul Anthony, who was in the group Full Force, and he co-wrote and wrote all these wonderful songs with uh, Lisa Lisa Colt Dam and all that. I remember that back in the day. So I see they're on the line. Let me bring them on in. Hey, what's going on? How, how are you? What's going good, on, sir? Right. Hello. Good. How are you, Mr. Powell? Hi. Okay, thanks for coming on the show. 
Thanks for having me. All right. Us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So I guess we'll just uh, jump right in. So uh, why don't we just talk about uh, your who you play in the play and uh, go from there. Well, in the play, I um, have a role as the wife, as a church wife, and I have a husband who is a preacher, so that's my role as I play the wife of the preacher in a church scene. Right. And it's, yeah, okay. very powerful. Yeah. All right. Uh, Paul, how about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I play a security guard in the play, or actually a, a prison guard in the play. And, you know, that's that, that's so, what makes it so surreal because in real life, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people in authority take that home as well. And in this particular instance, you know, I take that home into which I bring real tragedy into the home with my wife. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me uh, get straight on the concept of the show now. I believe it was Ross White's idea in uh, Wyoming. You developed it from there? Uh, well, I came up with the concept of it, and Ross White and I got together and began to speak on the topics that I wanted, and I saw in the vision of what I wanted. And she just took my vision and began to write it with the story concept of it all and developed a script, her and I, did that, and so, yeah, so she played a real pivotal role in making sure that this play is where it is today. All right. Okay, so, Paul, how did you prepare for your role? Well, um, I, uh, my father always said a singer is an actor, and I've been in the music business for over 30 years, uh, and, you know, and um, I've been in several films such as Crush Groove and House Party and House Party 2. So preparing mm-hmm. for it was very, very easy for me, just like I prepared for those, prepared for a video. You know, I, I get into role play very, very easily. And this was, um, this was uh, close to the heart because I used to be a social worker, and in being a social worker, I dealt firsthand with a lot of domestic violence things. So I just sort of reached back into some real-life situations like we all do when we assume a role. And it was really, really uh, simple, but at the same time, it was um, it was surreal as well. So uh, sometimes when you draw from real experiences, it makes it easy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so you just mentioned uh, that you were in, like, films with, uh, I know you work with Martin Lawrence, you had the uh, kid in yeah. the house park movies and all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yes, sir. How do you compare, how do you compare that energy on a, on, a, on a movie set, compare that energy with the energy on a, on a live stage show? Oh, well, it, there's two different energies for sure. Um, and both are rewarding because you you know we as actors, me and my brother Bo Legged Lou, and, and be fine. You know we'll always put ourselves into the role. You know this way you you find your comfort zone. Um, but on a stage play, it's more or less like almost when we're in concert doing a live show, whether it's in front of 300 people or 30,000 people, it's still that interaction. It's still trading off from that love electric energy you get from the people. And there is no cut and take three and take four. No, you own when you own, you own. you got to bring it right then and there. And in this particular play, I step out of character and I interact with the audience, and I call the men and women, to, you know, to the center, you know, of themselves, 
about domestic violence. So it's very special. It's a, it's a different feeling when you're dealing, connecting with the people, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Wyoming, we're going to step back uh, and talk a little bit more about the, the plot of the play and the far-reaching effects of uh, domestic abuse. So just talk a little bit more about the themes that uh, audiences can expect. Yes, well, the audience will definitely be able to um, interact with us as they begin to engage, as uh, we begin to have our message come across relating to domestic abuse. And with that, we're coupling with music because this is also a musical. So we know we're right. visual people. Yeah, it's also musical. So, therefore, they will be able to hear the message, and they're going to hear some great music, great singing. And so we're going. it's a powerful, impacted production, and we want to be able to just meet people where they are right now as it relates to domestic abuse because we know that we we are the ones that are going to be on the stage to bring this message out, and we want to be able to reach the people in their hearts and their souls and, and leave there so that they can have a change of heart and that they can have a change in their lives. So this is what it's about. It's not just a stage play, but it's a movement. So with that being said, we have a vision here that my cast, we are on a mission to save lives and to have people to think about what they need to do to save their families. So it's a vision of hope, a vision to heal, and a vision to help. So we are we're about all of that as we begin to start this mission. It's not only in D.C., but we're looking forward to taking it across other markets so that we can get the message out to know that we need to stop the violence as we relate to our people in the community as a whole. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 how can we see to it that there there are more socially conscious plays like this one? I mean, I think this play is, is very is very necessary. I mean, how how can we make sure that there's more plays like this out there? Well, I think it begins with those who have the desire, you know, to do it. And they have the willingness to put themselves in a position to do this because it's not easy. But if you have mm-hmm. a heart for people, because if you don't have a heart for people, then you don't need to do this. And so we get together and people bind their forces together and decide that we can do this. Uh, whatever your talents are, you know, bring it together. I have everyone that's a part of this play come from different backgrounds, but we've come together as one and decided that we want to, you know, be about the vision. And and when we come on one accord and people can do that, there's nothing we can't conquer. I mean, I have Paul right. Anthony, you know, who is a part of this play, and he came on board because he saw the vision. We did not know one another prior to this, but guess what? We're both um, in the same field, and that's the art, that's the music, and that's the love for what we do. And if you have a love for people, you will do as you commissioned to do to make a difference. So we've been in the business of the arts for a long time. We're just now bridging it together so that we can come and have a platform such as this and do it in the way that we know how is by singing and acting and putting great music to the message. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and to add to that, to ask your question, because I think your question was how can we see other plays put on like this, the answer is, I don't know, but what I do know 
is that this one is going down, the 29th at Seahawks Theater, and this one is the one that you better come see. Because I don't know about the next one, but this one is unique <laughs> in the elements that we are bringing. So I don't know about another one, but this one is the one that everybody needs to come see. Which one? This one. Then sings my soul. Yes, I concur totally, 100%. You got to come check this play out. And then that way you know that, hey, you know, Then Save My Soul is one that we're on a movement. We're on a mission to make a difference. So, yeah, definitely. I, I got to say this as well. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, Barney, so now what feedback have you gotten uh, about the show? Now, this this the uh, premiere, or you, you've done this before, right? Yes, we premiered the first debut was in, on May 2nd of this year. And okay. it's the same thing. Yes, we got great feedback, great support. Um, people were really loving it because they walked away feeling um, a sense of uh, a difference that they saw that we made in other people's lives. And um, so we definitely felt good about it. You know, you, you don't ever know how your first show is going to start out. You put a lot of work into it and, you really just do what you feel that needs to be done to put this together. But once we all got on stage and things start coming together, at the end of the day, people walked away loving it. I mean, really giving us um, kudos to what we what we're doing and what we did on that on that particular evening. So, with that being said, they asked, "When are you going to do it again? When are you going to put it back? We want to love to come back to see it and so forth and so on." So here we are again, in recognition of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We felt that you know it would be. Uh, for us to come back and do it, we'd be remiss if we did not do it for this month to share it. So, yeah, that's why we're back. Right. And have you gotten any, uh, like, personal feedback? Like, you changed my life, you saved my life? I get that a lot. You know, people were telling me as I was going through the process of putting this play together that, you know, women were coming to me and sharing their stories about, you know, their situation and how, they were, first of all, looking forward to seeing the play, but not only that, they felt that this was going to be something that was going to change their lives. And so um, quite a few other uh, friends of mine who are also in the play, they experienced it. You know, we've experienced it in some way, shape, form, or another, have had um, domestic abuse happen to them personally. So not only just others outside of this play, but within our cast, We've had experiences and we've shared those and we talked about it and we prayed about it and we cried together about it. So that becomes to let you know how personal this is. We're not just talking to people uh, just to say this because we may not know what their pain is or what their struggle, what they're going through out there, but we also can relate because a few of us also have the same story similar um, as it relates to this subject, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, Paul, how many uh, mm. musical numbers are in the show? Oh, man. Oh, let's see. I don't know. I think Wyoming's better equipped to answer that one. <laughs> I mean, how many of songs do you know, Wyoming? Mean, it's yeah. eight songs. It's a close to oh, eight, eight songs. I yeah. think maybe maybe nine now, right, with All Cried Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we added another uh, song, another mm-hmm. yeah, piece to it. So, yeah, somewhere in that Yeah, number. it's it's Yeah, it's so funny that what I said, I wrote a song, I think almost 30 years ago, for Lisa Lisa Nicole Jim called All Cried Out. 
and it was a huge yes. hit a few times, right? Everyone pretty much knows that song, and it just dawned on me that All Crowder is probably one of the most memorable, uh, emotional domestic violence songs of all time, you know, so as God would intend, it fits. So um, we're doing that song right in the middle, me and my uh, stage wife, Shang, Sugar Shang, we do that right in the middle. And like all the other songs, just definitely going to be pouring it and riveting and it hit home, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very memorable and I song. Add yeah. To that. yeah, I must add to that, that all the songs that we are performing are original songs. All, mm -hmm. Every last one of them are original. Yeah. So yeah, that's everything. a blessing that we have a production first time coming out the gate with songs that are all original, written by our only dynamic musical director, incomparable Dr. Daniel Sproul. He is an awesome musician, and I'm blessed. We are blessed to have him with us, and he has, he, you know, he sees the vision, and he has a story of his own to tell, but nevertheless, he came with an open heart and a willingness to see the vision and begin to start writing the songs that are, 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 are much to what we're talking about in our message in each scene. And he totally just took this and took it to another level. So when you see and hear and everything coming together, it's powerful. And I must say that I just, I'm just overwhelmed by uh, the, the people here in the cast, and then I'm also uh, blessed to have a musical director to give us some songs that definitely what people will enjoy at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Wyoming, uh, how did you go about building this wonderful cast? Oh my! It's, it was um, it was about me just really seeking out some of my good colleagues and my my good friends in the in the industry in this area, and that I, as I began to start thinking about who I would like to have in the cast, I began to approach them and one by one. And as I began to do that, they were totally on board. They were very elated that I asked them. They were honored to be a part of it. So a lot of the young ladies that are in the cast, we all know each other. We've been friends for a long time. We've been sisterhood, you know, for a long time. And we've sang together in this area for a long time. We traveled together. So there's a, a, a sisterhood uh, with a lot of my girls that are part of this. So it is not any strangers we all are sisters. And uh, Paul came on board through an introduction to another uh, friend and colleague in the business as well. And Paul can tell his story, but I was introduced to him. And once I found out he really, who Paul really is, I was like, wow, I was blown to know he wanted to be a part of this. So God orchestrated this whole thing as it relates to who was going to be in it. And that's some, some things you have to understand that, what you want may not be the way God orchestrated for it to be. So however it should be, someone like Paul and his brother Boleg Lou, I would not have dreamt or known that they would be a part of this, first of all. And we just have another gentleman added to the cast. His name is Gene Groove Allen, and he just came on board recently. And he also is... Uh, a gentleman who's been a part of the House Party movie one and two with Paul and Boleg Lou, and we all did not know that he was going to be a part of it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> reunion! <laughs> I have a 
celebrity. His name is Gene Groove Allen. He's on the flyer, and he plays the role of my husband, the preacher, in the scene okay. of, the, of yeah, the church scene. Yeah, and he's a good brother too. Yeah, it would be next. Yeah, so Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you think think about the script. Uh, What's some of the things in the script that that jumped out at you that she said, I just have to do this? Um, Well, I like the very opening, actually, because the opening, you know, uh, the ladies come out and they sing a song called I Am a Woman. It's a real powerful, strong strong song. You know, it it, 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 uh, just recharges a lot of the women in the audience right from the beginning. And I like that. And I like the fact that the song is his home with a lot of issues that people are dealing with today, you know, because there are people that are being broken, being hurt, being killed by domestic violence every day. So they come yeah. right out by charging and bringing energy right from the beginning. So I like that. That's one of the things that caught my attention Um along with the purpose, you know, because people know me as a cancer champion and a health champion. And um, long before I got that disease, being a social worker, before my musical shift came in, I always used to say how domestic violence is is a disease, you know, a disease of the spirit. And once we learn to cure that and calm that, you know, it's going to take care of a lot of other things. So this is just um, the father just bringing it full circle for me. So it was a natural progression to lend my time to this, you know, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, uh, Wyoming, is there any any uh, plans to do a tour? <laughs> well, that is a hope and a prayer that uh, if God's will, then that's what we would do. And uh, we would love to take this on the road and, of course, mm-hmm. have this to go legs and take it to other places that we would be able to share this message, Absolutely. Yeah, because domestic violence is everywhere. You know, it's everywhere. So we would definitely love to take this and and um, as we say, this is a movement. So when we start talking about a movement, we gotta be out in the field. We gotta be out in different places so that we can't touch people in many different areas that um, that we can't reach as many people we can reach. Right. Yeah. And uh, why did you choose the arc? Well, the Ark is in uh, the heart of Washington, D.C., uh, in southeast, and it's the, they saw it across the river and east of the river, actually. And it's a beautiful facility. It's a new um, state-of-the-art theater that was built uh, with less than about 10 years ago, but it's very much um, a beautiful facility, wonderful place, and um, they, they've grown a lot because it's for the art. You know, those who are in theater, music, and dance, and, and all instruments, and they have classes. And so they offer a lot for the community here in Ward 8 of, of Washington, D.C., for a lot of the youth and others who want to be able to um, utilize that facility. So, yes, it really is. It's offered such an, a lot uh, for a Southeast community, for the children and, and all those who are in the arts at the same time. So, yeah, I chose it because I live right in the neighborhood, so I support where I live. <laughs> and I oh, where good. I live. Oh, great, great, great. Okay, so, Paul, what's going on with the uh, Paul Anthony Foundation? Uh, we're doing um, 
a lot of wonderful things uh, to come. Um, I'd say, well, we may start some things this year, but 2016 is going to be a very interesting year. Um, uh, and it starts pretty much with the Bowlegged Lou. It's two other searches of, my, of mine, and I, we've come to form this other company called We Are Saving, Touching, and Changing Lives Worldwide. And it pretty much speaks for itself. And it's so funny how we all came together because this is something uh, in, in my purpose anyway. And we're going to be doing a, a series of uh, celebrity health conferences on the campus of UCLA. And um, that's going to be in January, February, March. It's going to be a huge undertaking Um and within that, there'll be a health and fitness area, which I'll be overseeing. There'll be a, a donor area, and that's the main focus of it. You know, we want to we want to incite, we want to infuse other heroes and, and champions to come forward. You know, because a drop of blood can save a life, a, a bone marrow donor can save a life, an organ can save a life, and that's exactly what Lou did with me. Saved my life by being a hero. So that, that, that aspect of it is called the love of a hero, and that's going to be special. Then we have another aspect of it called when you believe in you for the kids, knowing that when you believe you when you believe in you, you can do anything you put your heart and mind to. So these are just some of the things that are going in place. And then later on in the year, there will be major concerts that will go to benefit the Leukemia Lymphoma Society as well as the American Cancer Society. And these are going to be huge events throughout the year. Um, so there's a lot of things into play. Just keep checking the website, palivelife.org, for more information on that. And as well as bensingsmysoul.org, there'll be information on those things to come. And our new single just came out on uh, Sony Legacy called um, Your Love Makes Me High, and that features... Uh, Raphael Sadiq and Shanice Wilson. You can get that on iTunes and, and Walmart and all the major outlets. I know, I know, shameless plug, but you asked me. Here yeah. I am. So <laughs> that's all for us. Yes, sir, yes, sir, are more, yes, sir. Are you more of a uh, lyric guy? When you write a song, are you more of a lyric guy, or do you, you hear a tune in your head? I'd say a combination of both because I'd say pretty much I'm a melody guy because, you know, I hear melodies. Um, I guess before I hear it in my head, I hear it in my heart because um, some melodies just come from within and then that gives birth to some songs that kind of just really write themselves, such as an All Quiet Out or, you know, such as a Can You Feel the Beat or such as, uh, you know, some of the songs we've written for Patti LaBelle or, or the Backstreet Boys. So sometimes I'll hear a, a melody, and sometimes the lyrics come as melody. Sometimes it may be just an idea or a conversation, and the words will be said that that sh that strike a chord, and that'll lock in my head, and I will remember that. And then next thing you know, the song is just giving birth to itself, you know. And then I'll I'll hear the melody in my heart. And it'll go from there. So it can happen so many different kinds of ways. And these happen all kinds of ways. Sometimes I'll hear the music, you know, and the music will speak uh -huh. to me, that universal language. And then next thing you know, boom, I'll put the melody to the music and then the lyrics, and then I'll come together. Yeah, so it, in my career, it's happened kinds of ways. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You got any movies yes, uh, no, but we are working on a couple of interesting little things. I'm not liberty speaking right now, but we are definitely working on some things, some reality show things as well. You know, so uh, you just got to stay tuned 
to listen to that. And that could be on fullforceworld.com or palivelife.org. There will be some things coming up because the, the people are asking for it. They're really asking for it, and that's that's the whole thing. we gotta we got to feed the need, you know, definitely. That's what's up. That's what's up. Okay, so Thank you. Me, uh, how can people sponsor the show? Well, they can go to my website, www.thensingsmysoul.org, and all the information is there. You can purchase tickets, and you can also do a donation online uh, as it relates to sponsors. And um, so, yeah. Those are the things that uh, we're looking for, and we want to give back at the same time to um, some identified organizations that um, I've been in touch with, and we are asking those also to even help. um, And if they want more information about um, what I'm getting ready to say, they can call this number, 202-415-2122, what we're asking those that um, to reach out and help some other uh, those that are in shelters, women and all men that would like to come and they can't afford to come. So we're asking those if they can sponsor two or four of those that are in these shelter homes. And I've been in contact with several of them. So yeah, we we could definitely identify a few that they said they would love to have their group to come. And so that's what we're doing. So you're. Your your donation would definitely help someone else to come to see see the play. Absolutely. Okay, Wyoming and Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. I wish you much success with your show. Thank you yes, so much. We appreciate thank you. it. Thank you for that's, having that, me. Yeah, and that's yes. the 29th next Thursday at the Arc Theater. And you all come out. My brother Bo Little is hosting the music by Dr. Daniel Smoking. The ladies are all queens. They bring the energy. I bring the energy. My man Groove is going to do the preaching. And it's all going to be a stone gas, honey. So y'all come on down. Yes. Visit the website. Thank you so much, Mr. Powell, for having us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Okay, well, you All right. Yes. Be blessed. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, folks, let me leave you with this quote from Kevin Bacon. Kevin said, a good director creates an environment which gives the actor the encouragement to fly. Good night.